Hello, and welcome to Assigned Scientist at Bachelors. I am Charles, and I'm an entomologist. And I'm Pessa, and I'm an astrobiologist. And today, it's just the two of us for our second annual super spooky Halloween special. Last year, we talked about the Locked Tomb Trilogy, which was originally supposed to conclude this year, and then a pandemic happened, I guess. Yep, and it's it's no longer a trilogy. It's now a series, because somehow it gained a fourth book. That's, like... Good news and bad news. Yeah. Yeah, I have mixed feelings about it. I like reading things when they're already done and I can just breeze on through. What we're doing this year is an idea that I had. I thought it would be fun to delve into the horrors of the mind, by which I mean talk about science fictional scenarios that are personally terrifying. And I'm an anxious person, so most things terrify me all the time. So Tessa, I would love to throw the ball towards you some kinds of sports metaphor so the one that first came to mind uh, I, I am an anxious person but weirdly it it tends to manifest around fairly mundane things like you know well not necessarily mundane climate change exa- isn't exactly mundane but you yeah, would say um, uh, th- you know, not things that are particularly science fictional. In fact, things that are unfortunately all too real. Uh, one exception. Science factional. Yeah, science factional. And even the one I'm about to mention is not really a current one for me, but growing up, and I don't know if I've mentioned this on uh, this podcast before, but ironically, given I'm an astrobiologist, as a kid, I was irrationally scared of being abducted by aliens. I mean, I don't. I don't think that that's that ironic because it's like, it's, you know, like the joys and terrors of dating, right? Like you want to go on a date with somebody, but Uh, you don't want to be abducted by them. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, Yeah, that's that's a good way of thinking it. And, you know, it's weird because I know exactly where it came from. There was a show on Fox in the mid-90s called Sightings, which was all about all this, like, paranormal stuff. Like, they did you know, stuff on ghosts and angels and ESP and sometimes just stuff that was very mundane, but they thought it was weird. They were really into crop circles, which is kind of hilarious in retrospect because at the time they were like, oh yeah, these are clearly, you know, not the work of human hands. There's, you know, some greater force at work. And in the late nineties, then uh, two dudes came out and said, yeah, we made these using like a couple of two by fours. It's, it's really not that hard. And now like they make them for like promotional things, you know, for like companies that want to have something that's visible from an aircraft. Um, It's like the corruption of like world records used they used to mean something. Right, exactly. And now they're literally a promotional tool. Yep. Anyways, they also did a lot about alien abductions. And, you know, it was something that I was unreasonably afraid of that they would come and get me in the night. And I would actually I remember even like like putting music on because I thought that would make me feel less afraid, which it did. And uh, of course, the great reversal of this is now arguably I'm more of a threat to aliens than they are to me. Like even if they were to abduct me tonight, I would not leave unless I grabbed one of them because mama needs to finish her dissertation. (laughs) 
Well, here's a new fear that I would love to propose to you that you could internalize right now, which is the fear of getting abducted, but then abducting in return and seeing yourself become what you hate the most, i.e. an exploitative figure in academia. Ooh, ooh. The terror of corruption. Yeah, yeah, no. That hits home. Mm, I'll have to think about that. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's the first like science fictional thing that comes to mind. How about you? Well, I actually want to probe (laughs) (laughs) a little bit deeper. Did you have an image of what would happen to you if you got abducted? I mean, they always made it out as like, oh, they'd come and take you and out of your bed and you'd be paralyzed. It was actually like the the, the whole being paralyzed thing that really frightened me. And fortunately for me, you know, I now know sleep paralysis is a thing. And I also didn't experience it until after I had learned what sleep paralysis was. So, yeah, no, it was just like you couldn't move and they would just take you. And I guess that, that that was the aspect that really bothered me was like being held captive powerless mm. and not having control of what was going on at all. I don't know. I'm sure my therapist could make a lot out of that. But uh, yeah, you know, you know, I was too young to know about the whole, oh, you know, anally probe you or whatever. That did not even cross my mind. It was mostly just, you know, the act of someone coming into my home, doing something to me that I could no longer move, because apparently that is something that they were reported to do, which, again, also matches the symptoms of sleep paralysis. And then, you know, would just abduct you and run weird experiments on you and like take messy tissue samples, because apparently, even though they have interstellar travel, they haven't figured out like MRIs just weird i i didn't really think too much about what would actually happen after they grabbed me it was just the fact that they could grab me but when you watch tv that (laughs) claims it's factual and you're seven or six five whatever and don't know any better suddenly it's like oh this could be a real thing because i mean they wouldn't let people on if they you know didn't think they were true right yeah friggin nova on pbs did an Mm. episode about it too Mm-mm-mm. And that also did not help because, like, I mean, I trusted Nova. PBS, come on. They taught me about how the immune system works and about the space shuttle Challenger disaster. As far as I was concerned, they were fully credible. That, that, that's kind of why it probably latched into my head. What a betrayal. Looking back as an adult, I'm like, okay, these are, like, whatever these people thought happened to them sure sounds scary, but sure also doesn't sound all that plausible that, you know, aliens traveled unfathomable distances to grab people and do things that they could have done with a robotic probe a whole lot easier and without anyone noticing. Yeah, I I hear that argument, but on the other hand, I can absolutely imagine humans doing that if we had the capability. True. So I don't think it's outside the realm of like cuz this is the this, it's always so funny when people make arguments on the basis of like, well this is nobody would act like this and it's like somebody would. Mm, true, true. Maybe we're just getting the juvenile delinquents of the interstellar community. And that's that's the real nightmare. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, when I proposed this, the first thing that came to my mind was a pretty common science fictional idea, I think, of like having an implant in your brain that then connects you kind of like the internet inside your brain. Mm. In particular, the first thing that comes to my mind is a young adult novel called Feed by M.T. Anderson. Have you ever read this? Uh, No, but I've heard of it. I remember reading it when I was in the demographic age because I used to love 
above all other genres, dystopian and post-apocalyptic fiction. So Feed, I don't really remember that well because it's been a while since I read it, but from Wikipedia in the context section, the novel portrays a near future in which the FeedNet, a huge computer network apparently an advanced form of the internet, is directly connected to the brains of about 73% of American citizens by means of an implanted device called a Feed. The feed allows people to mentally access vast digital databases, to experience shareable virtual reality phenomena, to continually interact with intrusive corporations in a personal preference-based way, and to communicate telepathically on closed channels with others who also have feeds. And so this is a whole nightmare to me because I want to be left alone. Right, right. Don't talk to me. This is, you know, the alerts or notifications on your cell phone going off forever in your own head. I, I mean, it's kind of two levels of a nightmare where one implantable stuff really freaks me out and then the second part of it is don't talk to me (laughs) leave me alone i am and this is not a brag because people get very annoying about like introversion on the internet i think it hit its peak a couple of years ago of the like cozy core like i'm just a shy introvert and extroverts are out hooking up with people and i like to read books i'm not doing that but i am saying on just a pure like like do you feel energized by being around other people do you feel exhausted by being around other people i am the most introverted person i've ever met or know about insofar as when i read the story about the serbian hermit who came out of his cave and into town and was like what's going on and people were like it's a pandemic. And then he got his vaccine and he was like, if I can do it, anybody can. I was like, <laughs> I'm a little bit jealous of that guy. Like to that extent. Champion, like quarantine or lockdown person right there. Love that guy. In another world, in another reality, I would absolutely would have become a hermit monk. I'm like two steps away from becoming a hermit monk now. <laughs> I'll live in a cave with goats, whatever. <laughs> so that's, I think that's part of it. And just the idea of not being able, it's just the ultimate intrusion of like, even if you're in public, you can kind of be by yourself. You can put on headphones. Right, right. Like shut yourself away. You can find a little corner behind a column, which I have frequently done in my life. But if there is a thing inside of your brain, there is no escape from right. other people ever. And that is horrifying. So I hope that doesn't happen. So uh, the, the mentioning implants made me think of this. I have no problem at all with, like, most medical stuff. You know, in the course of my transition, I've gone through some non-trivial medical procedures myself. But something that I've noticed, interestingly, throughout my transition is my attitude towards body horror has changed completely. Hmm. I used to be, like, pretty unfazed by it pre-transition. Nowadays, I can't do it. Like, it, it just makes me too viscerally uncomfortable to deal with. And I wonder if that's because, like, previously, you know, I'd been coping essentially by, like, being mildly dissociated from my body at all times. And that's obviously no longer the case. I'm in a body I really, really like. And so, therefore, part of me is like, oh, my God, don't let anything happen to this. You know? <laughs> so, I, I, I suspect that's probably why. Because, like, now I just I will avoid it at all costs. I just... Yeah. This is interesting. I have... Two responses. One is, this podcast episode probably would be great supplemental materials for your therapist. Yes. <laughs> so, great idea. And then secondly, I have always been freaked out by body horror. Like, always. And I think, to some extent, it's just that I'm... I mean, we've talked about it before, just like the inescapable nightmare of organic corporeality. Yes, yeah, in general. Where it's just like, 
most days I can kind of skate through and I'm not too bothered about it because like I have no alternative. But then sometimes it's like, you mean I have to deal with this all the time and the only escape that I'll ever get is through death, which right, is right. another thing. It's, uh, yeah, it is very, because I think particularly over the past year and a half, and I want to be careful in how I phrase this because I don't want to stigmatize disability, but one of the things that has been a constant anxiety companion for me since the beginning of the pandemic is not necessarily just getting COVID. What really freaks me out, especially post-vaccination, where I know that my chances as an otherwise pretty healthy young person of dying are are ultimately pretty slim, not zero, but smaller. It is the development of long COVID. Right. Because I think also as somebody who has complex sensory issues, I am locked in a constant day-to-day battle with feeling comfortable in my own body to begin with. Right, right that the development of long COVID really freaks me out because it's like, that would be just completely upsetting the truth that I've been able to kind of reach. And so body horror, I think for me, taps into those similar fears of like, I'm barely getting by dealing with having a body base level. Right. If I introduce a lot of complications to this, it's going to go south real quick. Right, right. Yeah, no, that's kind of how I feel it, too, is that, A, I kind of already went through that with male puberty the first time around. I don't need another dose of it in my life. Yeah. But also, B, yeah, you know, I've because of that, I've already got a lot of peculiarities and idiosyncrasies going on in terms of my physical form. I don't need to add more to the list, whether that's something relatively mundane, like nerve issues or whatever, the sort of thing you might see from long COVID, or something very supernatural or science fictional, growing, I don't know, insect legs or something weird like that. That I might be able to jive with. Yeah, oh, that's true. That's true. It would fit your aesthetic. Mine, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe not so Yeah. I, I, it is actually interesting to me because I edited and published our episode with Aaron Fairchild recently. And we talked about being a furry and like whether they would choose to actually incorporate any of the sort of aspects of their personas physically if they were able to. And I think what's interesting to me about quote unquote extreme body modification and that kind of stuff is that I am such a hyper cautious individual that like even thinking about like further surgeries that I might be interested in, not having kind of a backspace. Right. Yeah, no, I get that. I feel the same way about tattoos. Yeah, it kind of freaks me out of like, I think I want this, but I can't actually experience what it's going to be like until I can't go back from it. Right. And that also played a little bit into fears about going on HRT, but a little bit less so because HRT is such a gradual process. Right. Yeah, that's actually how I approached it too. I figured, you know, if it started doing stuff I didn't like, I could just stop. You can just stop. Whereas surgery is, and I, God, it's such a hackneyed talking point with transphobes at this point of like, what about regret? And it's like, Barbara, I regret a lot of stuff that... I didn't have to get medical approval for. Right. Why is this special? Don't regret any of the stuff that I had to get redundant medical approval for. Like, it's like, life is complicated. But yeah, I think, 
because I've always been freaked out by body horror. Although I will say, I think about this a lot. I think having a third arm would actually be pretty chill. You know, I, I get that. Like there are some exceptions I would make. Like if I had a functional pair of wings, I'd be totally chill with it. I like that would be awesome. See, wings I feel like would just get in the way because you'd have to get all of your shirts specially tailored. Oh yeah, I mean that's true. But I just like invest a lot in halter tops, which I look good in. In anyways, you could go just like extreme lesbian thirst trap edition and get like <laughs> a harness. Ooh, yeah, yeah. Now we're talking. Yeah, see, I could totally make this work. Yeah. And, you know, I'd, I'd also like being able to fly because that just seems like it would be cool. Well, speaking of transness, another thing that I had on my list, not so much recently, I think, but especially earlier on when I started transitioning, which was about a decade ago at this point, there was a lot of wasted time, frankly, invested in the idea of identifying, like, a neurophysiological seat of transness. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we've talked about that before with like yeah, finding, uh, when we had Rose Avalathon and stuff like that. Yes. And finding, you know, the trans section of the brain or whatever, the right. things that turns you trans. And a conclusion that would often follow was like, this could be a key to better diagnosis. And it's like, get out of here. Right. Because I categorically reject the idea that there will ever be like a neurophysiological cue that will supersede self-identification. Right, exactly. And so I think that's kind of a weird nightmare to me of like a better understanding of transness, quotes, better understanding transness leading to like just a reversal of the gains that we've gotten in loosening medical gatekeeping. Right, right, right. Although, I mean, I I feel like after a while that does tend to burn itself out i mean for a long time they were doing this exact same thing with homosexuality or really anything other than heterosexuality and people have pretty much given up on it partially because it turns out you know not really all that scientifically well supported anyways but also because you know it just doesn't matter you know it's not something people are actually all that interested in finding out because it's not something people feel like they need to know yeah well and i think the absolute most generous good faith is like we want to identify people who won't do quote-unquote irreparable harm to their bodies but it just is a fundamentally transphobic viewpoint any way you slice it the idea that it is better to have a cis body than a trans body right. is transphobic. Like, get out of here. And I, I think about this a lot also because it's kind of related where I was thinking about this and I was like, what about a future where we weirdly go forward in like medical capabilities? And I, because this is an interesting thing that cis listeners might not know about, but the rates of bottom surgery between like trans femme and trans mask people at least last time i checked the numbers are like wildly divergent yeah yeah where most trans mask people in my experience don't pursue bottom surgery really and by bottom surgery i really mean specifically genital reconstruction surgery because like lots of guys get hysterectomies or whatever but that's more of a sort of middle surgery (laughs) you Mm. know Torso surgery, yeah. Torso surgery, just getting in there, scooping it out. And a, and a reason that is behind this for a lot of people, I have, I actually proposed this theory to you, which is that surgery for things that you might have to hide 
are probably more typical than surgeries for something that you could easily fake. Yeah. Where like yeah. if you have, for example, a chest and you would need to wear a binder to hide a presence that is tougher than like wearing a bra that has breast forms in it. Exactly. Yeah. No, I, I could totally believe that, honestly. So that's one of my theories. But then the other explanation that's typically given is that the surgical procedures just aren't there. Like vaginoplasty has always been perceived as having better ultimate effects than phalloplasty, especially, which is construction of a phallus or a toidioplasty. And not to give away all our secrets, but for cis people, it's like basically taking i don't know how much detail i want to get into we're a family friendly podcast kind of for like 12 year olds i would say but i guess if you're curious just google metoidioplasty and you'll learn a lot about (laughs) how genitals work and hormones and it'll enrich your life probably it's and you basically end up the gold standard for that is that you i I remember seeing very early on in my transition somebody was like contemplating it but they were worried about it and they were like there, they were writing into like an ask me kind of Tumblr. And they said like they had been given the Michelangelo's David as like a positive example of what the <laughs> effects of a metodioplasty <laughs> might look like. You know, that that actually tracks. Yeah. Um, here's what I'll say. In the, in the very old days, you like couldn't get diagnosed as trans if you weren't like holistically like violently dysphoric about yep. your whole body. And then I guess the sort of theoretical situation here is that we're at a point where suddenly we're we're so advanced medically that there is a push for people not to be able to kind of quote unquote pick and choose, but to have to just go whole hog, just totally sissing their whole body, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean... On one hand, I could, like, see people putting pressure on that just from, like, the true trans, true scum, whatever perspective, sort of gatekeeping. On the other hand, I feel like if medical technology does get that advanced, it seems like, at least based off of how things have gone so far, if anything, it would enable people to pursue more morphological freedom, like, move, in some cases, very radically away from that model. I mean, I know improvements in bottom surgery for trans women have led to some very unconventional deliberately so results where people like preserve parts of their original genitalia but also construct a vagina Um, yeah because this actually gets to something that i was literally thinking of in this exact moment of i saw like a fear-mongering piece about like with these newfangled trans identities we're getting people who want a penis and a vagina or somebody who wants nothing at all and it's like sick yeah. Yeah, exactly. Bring it on. Yeah. And it, I think it's kind of a two roads diverged and a medical transition would. And one of them leads to things are so good now. The only value, because I feel like there are probably a lot of people out there who are like fine with people who have identifiably trans bodies, but only because there's like no other option Right. versus people who are like, do whatever you want. Who cares? And I, I think... If anybody wants to write this, I think it would be an interesting kind of thought experiment to go down that kind of nightmare. Re Like we've had this brief taste of morphological freedom of you can access what you think will best help you in 
identifying with and modifying your body in the ways that you want to and then going around the bend again to a very prescriptive kind of model yeah you can only do this if you'll also do this and you know it's odd because like ultimately the principle the idea of you know you get to pick and choose is based off body autonomy so i mean pretty much as you say you know that is going to be a nightmare scenario not only for trans people but for anyone who might have to deal with having a body that isn't approved by the state whether it's women or people of color or whatever because you know if you decide that trans people you know only have one way to be trans and don't actually have control over what they'd like their body to be you know you can only accept you know a certain type of body if you wish to medically transition that's going to have like knock-on effects for a lot of people in a very not good way plus it gets into here's a chain of association transphobes margaret atwood the handmaid's tale theocracy christians being weird about stuff basically because i think overall there is a cultural movement towards do what you need to do but a lot of this fear-mongering comes back to sort of religious fundamentalists who hate trans people because we're like an affront to god's holy vision right and so basically the idea being there is male and there is female and anything that doesn't perfectly map onto our images of those is aberrant and disgusting and perverted and bad and so that is where the fear of like people having no particular genitals at all comes from where it's like well you can't do that because that doesn't happen but of course it does happen and moreover even if intersex people didn't exist which of course they do mind your business yeah plus i mean the whole well it doesn't happen i mean that's true for a lot of modern medicine people with serious health conditions congenital health conditions not dying you know days after birth doesn't usually happen in nature but that hasn't stopped us um <laughs> All right i think there's a good thing i love not dying yeah, yeah, you know, or hell, even people who use eyeglasses. Yeah. You know, those don't exist in nature either, but uh, yeah. Well, we haven't gotten down to the very deepest parts of the ocean, so. Uh, okay, fair enough. You know, th- there may be some, like, deep-sea anglerfish which have fashioned spectacles, but, you know, aside from that possibility. Because it's, how does, because glass gets made by, like, superheating sand, yeah. Right? It's a form of silica, uh, silica dioxide, yeah. There's sand in the ocean. Yeah, and there's also volcanoes. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it's not completely implausible. I was listening to another podcast this morning because I listen to podcasts every day of my life. Mm-hmm. And they mentioned sort of the Enlightenment era attitude of like, well, we're learning everything there is to know. So sorry, people in the future. And I don't necessarily think that that's ever going to happen, especially if we encounter a great apocalyptic collapse like that which occurs in A Canticle for Leibowitz. Mm -hmm. And then we have to spend another thousand years rebuilding all of our knowledge again. And then there's another nuclear war and then the cycle repeats itself. But I do look forward to the future where we have covered enough stuff that the academic sniping gets extremely niche and extremely weird, even more than it already is. Basically what I'm saying is I look forward to 50 years from now when we do discover a fish in the deep ocean (laughs) wearing a circle of naturally made glass over its eye 
and were like, well, we can't say that this is actually fish wearing spectacles because they can't see because there's not enough light. And then other people going back and forth, the glass itself doesn't have any like the refractive index is not enough to improve vision, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Listen, academics have to be employed doing something. Something, yeah. There are <laughs> a number of things. Not that we can really dig into too much. I mean, I'm terrified of space travel. And there's one book that I really enjoyed, On the Edge of Gone, where a catastrophic natural disaster is basically going to make the world unlivable and so they build a bunch of these generation ships to mm -hmm. go up into space and the concept of being on a generation ship no thanks no thank you yeah no i mean even as someone who is very enthusiastic about potentially going into space given if given the opportunity it's uh, you know you it's reasonable to be scared it's it's not a What's the word I'm looking? Hospitable environment. Um, it it also seriously constrains a lot of your capabilities, and like you can't just get off. Well, that's part of it. I hate feeling trapped on stuff. This is part of why I don't like boats. Mm. Actually, on the generation show, on 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 the edge of gone, the protagonist's sister is trans. She's a trans woman, and not to spoil things, but they end up finding each other in a circumstance where the protagonist is like, I can get you onto the generation ship. They need young people. And her sister has to like look her square in the face and be like, okay, well, why do they need young people? And it's to make more people. Right. And she mm. can no longer do that. Right. Yeah. And I think that is particularly, it's kind of a gray area of sexual consent, even where if you're going to be on the generation ship, the idea is to make generations and then it's a very like they probably wouldn't force you to breed, but there would very much be that attitude of, well, you're here, you're using up resources, what right. are you contributing back? Right. And no, thank you. No, thanks. So that's one. But I actually thought it would be interesting to end on kind of a utopian scenario that I don't like, by which I mean, I think about a lot the crisis of housing and how from an environmental standpoint, the best option is dense urbanization because that is effectively the most efficient way of housing large numbers of people. Suburban sprawl is bad and a lot of post-colonialization rural sprawl is also very very bad because we end up with a lot of monoculture and also racism and there's racism everywhere but right. let me tell you i spent a lot of time recently driving through rural arizona in the areas that are primarily populated by white people there's some bad vibes out there yep so dense urbanization is like the best option it allows people to have walkable cities it better facilitates public transportation because public transportation really only works if stuff is pretty close to each other. Right, right. So that you can efficiently move large numbers of people without having to go way out of everybody's way, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I have lived in big cities and I do not enjoy the experience. I'm not into it. I end up stressed out, kind of on edge all the time, overstimulated, 
not into it. I, you, you are not the only person who's had a problem. In fact, I'm pretty sure there have been psychological studies about it. Well, there's that, and then uh, there's kind of the general person overstimulation of living in a big city and like urban isolation, et cetera, et cetera. But then there's also very specific, I have responses to noise and audio stimuli mm, yeah, that a I lot can... of people don't have, where it's like, I have trouble living in cities because cities are loud. No, I, no, that, that honestly, that totally makes sense. And so it's it's tough because it's like, on one hand, for the good of the world and humanities, I know that the best situation is that people are mostly living in densely packed cities with public transportation, but that is also personally my nightmare so it's tough i I get that i get that and i I can totally understand having mixed feelings about it too because you know again a lot of those rural locations while they are quiet they have uh, other issues with them as well bad vibes I mean, that's really the nightmare to end on, where it's not even science fiction, but that we're all facing a tsunami wave of, I mean, literal tsunamis, but also other natural disasters and increasing unlivability across the world as a consequence of irresponsible actions on both broad and narrow scales. And that's a real bummer. Yep. So hopefully that doesn't, I mean, and so there's a good solution here where we can't undo what has been done, but there is a future where people take meaningful action and look out for each other and support each other, and we make meaningful investments in climate-responsive living and resources. And then there's cynically a more likely scenario where the people who aren't going to be hurt by it and are unfortunately in control of a lot of stuff, continue to not care. And then they just die. You can find me on Twitter at CockroachArls. And you can find me on social media at SpaceRamase, S-P-A-C-E-R-M-A-S-E, or at TessaFisher.com. You can find the podcast on Twitter at ASABpod, or at our website where we post show notes and transcripts for every episode, ASABpodcast.com. Com. And if you like the podcast, please tell other people that you think might like it about it, because that's apparently the number one way the podcasts grow. And until next time, keep on sciencing.